0: What a great joy it is to be able to gather and to assemble today. This particular day, the 17th of February, certainly brings us to the third Sunday in the month and how delighted we are that God has so richly blessed us we could sing songs like I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. Or perhaps these others in which we've lauded the greatness of the Christ and have so wonderfully sung about being a Christian. Perhaps it is in that light that our lesson today includes the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, but it involves being a neighbor for Christ. The title I've given to the lesson is exactly that, Neighbors for Jesus. In the fourth chapter of John, which was just read for us a moment ago, please be turning in your Bible to that place and we'll cast a rather lengthy spotlight on some of the attributes and the developments of that chapter. While you're doing that, a few introductory thoughts I have placed on the slide that you'll notice now before you. It's the case that we know very well about the fact that in Luke chapter 10, somebody asked the Lord a question, Who is my neighbor? It was at that point the Lord launched into an amazingly memorable discussion. We often call it the Good Samaritan. And He identified by description who and what a neighbor is. Today, we'll find that the Lord Himself acted neighborly to someone else, and we'll use that as our point of study this morning. What were the things that Jesus did in being a neighbor to this person? And how might you and I use those thoughts to help us be better neighbors to those that we may come in contact with as well? To do that, you'll notice the bottom of that slide brings us to notice being a neighbor for Christ, as we'll soon discover, is not a matter that's Arbitrary, but rather something the Bible, in fact, often discusses and places a commandment upon it. The opening part of the lesson this morning, then, will be this. Let's first cast a spotlight on the text itself, revisiting and rehearsing the actual events that occurred, and then we'll extract a number of lessons that can be very beneficial to us as we apply those things to our lives. In the fourth chapter of John, This is the scene of that conversation the Master had with a Samaritan woman. I've tried to summarize very briefly a few of the opening aspects of that set of events. And it begins like this. The book of John, as we noted ironically Wednesday night, is a masterpiece that makes note of the Lord's compassion, His humanity, and the care that He has for one and all, and that we find exemplified in this episode concerning a Samaritan woman. With that, you'll notice that the opening part of the chapter brings us to this fact. Jesus was journeying from the area of Judea to the area of Galilee. And between those two on a map is an area known as Samaria. It was thus necessary to either cross through Samaria or to go around it to travel from that district that was Jerusalem up to, of course, Galilee. As the Lord was passing through Samaria, verse number 3 tells us this, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. As the Lord came to this city known as Sychar, there was a well located there. It was known as Jacob's well because even as the woman testified, it had been since the days of Jacob that well had been dug. And not only did Jacob drink from it, but of course so many in the centuries since that time had occurred. It was at that location, you'll notice this. About the noontime hour, this is about the bottom of the slide, the text says the Lord became wearied and He sat down on the edge of that well. Now, in point of fact, the apostles, those that had been chosen to occupy that role, were not with him. They had gone into the city to buy food. The Lord was here alone. Isn't it true that we now note the following? In verse number 7, "...there cometh a woman of Samaria to drink water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat." Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am of woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir... "'Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. "'From whence then hast thou that living water? "'Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, "'and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle?' "'Jesus answered and said unto her, "'Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, "'but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst.' But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. We'll pause there before we move on in just a moment. But you'll notice you're at the bottom of that slide. While the Lord was sitting on that well, a woman came. To draw water now certainly we understand how needful that water was and as she came you'll notice that the Lord initiated a conversation with her you notice Jesus first said give me to drink and thus he made a question an inquiry of this woman that she might draw water and provide to him Isn't it interesting how that develops then in this way She immediately asked of the master a question. Did you notice? She immediately, though he had never said anything, she concluded he was a Jew. And therefore she asked, Why is it that you being a Jew ask something of me? Because she freely admitted in verse number 9, The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Those peoples, those individuals had thus developed to the point that there was little concourse, little conversation. The Jews had little regard for Samaritans. And in response, of course, the Samaritans had little respect for the Jews. And therefore, this woman was puzzled. She was quite confused. How is it? It could well be that very few and far between had ever been the times in her life when a Jewish man would have spoken to her. And yet here Jesus took the liberty to ask something of her, and not only that. You'll notice how it developed into this. Jesus took the circumstances surrounding this... And he said this to her, If you had known who it was that was asking this of you, and if you had known what it was that he has to give you, you would have asked of him for that water that will forever quench your thirst. Did you notice how she then reacted? She thus quickly said in verse number 11, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this water? She was still thinking, you see, about the literal thing that she had come to get. She had come to draw water and her mind was fixated upon that consideration. But Jesus wasn't talking about that and He next said this. Verse number 13. Whosoever drinketh of this water, you might could even imagine the Lord gesturing, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But verse 14. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Never thirst. At that point, you can easily appreciate then the woman's reply, verse 15. Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She was so excited. at Please give me this water of which you speak. This water such that it will forever quench thirst and I'll not need to draw for it. You'll notice on the slide before us, it was at that point that the Master had now intrigued her soul that a deeply spiritual conversation was able to take place. Already the Lord had whetted her appetite about the the consideration of water. Now, you may notice the Lord gave a command in verse 16, Go call your husband. Go call your husband. You see, the good news the Lord was about to share was not only something needful and interesting for her, but it would also be vital and essential also for others, including her husband. At this point in verse number 17, the woman replied, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. You and I might make this observation. As this consideration developed, go call your husband. And she frankly admitted, I don't have a husband. I'm not married. And Jesus then told her something, of course, that she quickly made a consideration about. The Lord said, Indeed. You've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. At that point, she was impressed, she was amazed, and in that, we learn something we'll develop more thoroughly a bit later in the lesson. But did you notice what happened next? Verse 19 The woman said, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. In this conversation and in these developments, she was already con- sufficiently convinced that the man with whom she was now speaking was a prophet. He had told her something about everlasting life in terms of water. He had told her something about the fact of her arrangement with a man. He had information that she well appreciated he otherwise could not have had. Let's, let's, see, let's see what happens next. Our fathers, verse 20, worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Did you notice? She had moved this discussion now at her initiation into a matter related to worship. May I stop at this point and suggest this. Worship is of fundamental significance. Now realize I speak before those who already appreciate how essential and how significant worship is. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. You and I understand this. In fact, we have based a critical element in our life on making sure we carry this out in a way that pleases Him. But may I say, even those today who have chosen to gather nowhere, and perhaps for all apparent reasons have given no interest whatsoever in worship, there is still a void in their soul. And in the deepest recesses of their consideration, they know that something is not right. God made human beings to worship. He made us. We need to worship something or somebody. May I say that this woman then began to ask about worship. Verse number 20. Our fathers, that is the Gentile fathers, say in this mountain... But you Jews, on the other hand, y'all worship in Jerusalem, she said. Verse 21, Jesus saith to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. We ye worship, ye know not what? We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. May we note very carefully, she had raised this subject of worship, and the Lord simply said the truth to her. It is true that you Gentiles worship at this mountain, Mount Gerizim. We as Jews worship in Jerusalem, verse 21. But Jesus quickly said, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem is going to be solely the proper place of worship. That is to say, not only in places like Jerusalem, But yet, verse 22, salvation for the time is of the Jews. Verses 23 and 24 are some of the most well-known in the entire book of John. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus had frankly said, you Gentiles don't know what you're worshiping. And he even made identification, did he not, that God seeks true worshipers. May we never ever lose sight of the fact that God wants true worshipers. He doesn't, he's not interested in half-hearted worship. He's not interested in that which is not done without biblical authority. He's not interested in worship which does not satisfy the descriptions that He has given in the Word of God. And any such worship that you and I might entertain to offer is only vain worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. At that point, verse number 25, the woman now replies, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when He comes, He will tell us all things... And may we notice the power of verse 26. Jesus said to her, I that speak to thee am He. On occasion, you and I might encounter those who say, Jesus never claimed to be the Christ or the Messiah. That's a lie. Here He told this woman He was the Son of God. He told her He was the Messiah. He told her that He was the one from heaven. At this point, notice how she reacted to that kind of consideration. "'And upon this came the disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her?' The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, "'Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ?' she left behind the very pot that she had come to draw water in. She was so excited. She was so overwhelmed. She was so mesmerized by the thought of the one that had spoken with her and the message he brought that she left that behind, went into the city, and began to tell the men, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. I'm telling you this is the Christ, she said. It is isn't that light. Verse 30, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Those men came to see this gentleman, this man of whom she spoke. At that point, as you and I come near the close of this slide, you notice that this woman, her life had been rather amazingly altered. The remaining things before us on this slide begin like this. Verses 31 and following, Jesus gave some powerful instructions to those apostles about the nature of this woman, the nature of the work before them, and the great character of the church. To summarize some of those matters on that slide, as you'll notice, the Lord stayed two days in that district, in that area. And then you'll notice there were many who came to know about the Master. This episode has been one that we've just briefly attempted to highlight. And now some lessons that I would suggest could be very meaningful to you and me this morning. Lesson number one is this one. May I ask that we think about what was the neighborliness which Jesus exhibited? If it is the case, and it is, that you and I are told to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2.5, and if it is the case that we are commanded to love thy neighbor as thyself, Mark 12 verse 31, then suffice it to say, let's ask, how was Jesus a neighbor to this woman? What was it that He did? The first observation would begin, it seems to me, like this. There is a powerful observation that comes to you and me today. You and me are required. You and I must be neighbors. I quoted that verse a moment ago, and maybe it's time to notice it again. When the Lord was asked about the greatest commandment, without hesitation, He answered about loving God. But may we not forget, He said, The second is like to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Each of us have the privilege and perhaps even the blessing of having the opportunity of association with many individuals. It may be those that live next to us. It may be those who work in the same place we do. It may be those who perhaps are in other walks of life in ways that contact you and me. But be that as it may, we could ask this, so what by biblical definition is a neighbor? I understand we typically use the word in connection with those that happen to live close by. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus taught about the Great Samaritan, In Luke chapter 10, it was a different definition than that. On this occasion, a man, as you and I will remember, had been left half dead. He'd been robbed and beaten up. And when he was, you notice he was merely left unable to fend for himself in the open elements. But isn't it true that you would think in a very thankful way a priest came by a person who obviously should have known the character of the law of Moses and knew the nature of what it was like to be a neighbor. For after all, in Luke 19, or rather Leviticus 19, they were commanded to act in that neighborly fashion, and yet the Levite looked upon him, passed by on the other side. That was really of no rendering aid to the man, but then you and I well noticed that another priestly gentleman came by one more time a person you might have thought would render aid but he didn't at that point a Samaritan came by that Samaritan offered assistance offered help and when the lawyer had asked who is my neighbor this was the Lord's definition and in the closing verses of that parable in Luke 10 verse 37 it is there said that of course you go and do likewise Who is my neighbor? It is anyone that you and I are privileged to be able to help. Anyone that we are capable of assisting. May I say that the Lord gave to this woman the greatest assistance that was possible. He not only offered to her the physicality of a conversation, but something far greater. The nature of the knowledge of the gospel. He talked about living water. He talked about the truth and so much so the nature of the Messiah that she with, ec- with excitement went to tell others about it. Let's add to that the following. As you and I look at this opening example, how often are we taught then such as in 1 John 3 verses 17 and 18, love is not that which is merely spoken. It is that which manifests itself and that which is done, those acts and those deeds. May I then ask each of us, you and I, are, you, are we being neighbors for Jesus? Are we conducting ourselves literally by both language and action in such a way that we might be able to lead others in a wonderful way to the truth that we have come to know, being a neighbor for Jesus? All these occasions you and I can think, what about those who live next to me? Or those whom I know in other walks of life, do they even know I attend church services? Do they even know that I'm a New Testament Christian? If they don't know that, then perhaps that speaks rather strongly to the fact that I haven't been a terribly good neighbor in at least every way I could be. It didn't take this woman long to learn that Jesus had a message for her And He shared it in such a loving and dramatic way. Maybe you and I can learn the greatness and the power of such a consideration. Lesson number two. To that, why don't we add this one. This one is certainly a very meaningful thing. The truth of example. The issue that surrounds it. Here was a situation where quite likely this woman had never seen Jesus before. And yet, it didn't take her long until she could say, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. What does that indicate about the Lord's behavior? His language, the way He conducted Himself. Isn't it evident that that speaks highly to the fact that the way He spoke, what He spoke, and the way He carried Himself was such that He impressed her soul with His godliness, He lived an open example of truthfulness. Oh, how greatly that demand is of you and I. In fact, we might go so far as to say, even if we share the message of Christ or attempt to do that with others, if others quickly perceive that our language is rather unwholesome and our life is not as it ought to be, they will have very little interest in that conversation going any further. Isn't it fair to say that if our conviction of Christ and our connection to Him is so shallow and so weak that the truth of Christ is not manifested in our life, why should anybody else want what we claim to have? The answer speaks for itself, doesn't it? Suffice it to say that the whole Bible throughout, it seems, lays an emphasis upon that matter. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Isn't it there that we read, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As those that we're privileged to know look upon us and appreciate what we stand for and the kind of individuals we are, they ought to be convicted that we truly are those who don't say one thing and do something else. We live what we claim to preach, and we are who we claim to be. And we thus would like them to know that treasure of contentment that we know. This woman surely gleaned that, gleaned that about Jesus. Might I invite you to consider this as well. Isn't it true how desperately our world needs that kind of an example? Proverbs fourteen thirty four: Righteousness exalteth a nation, But sin is of reproach to any people. We prayed for it earlier today in our assembly. We know how desperately that our world needs Christian examples. We understand it well. So often individuals choose to move on tangents of life and choose to do things that are sinful. And they choose to do things that are not in keeping with the truth of God. We know that that isn't pleasing to God. And we know our land suffers because of it. Shouldn't you and I then choose to live before them the wholesomeness and the reality of what righteousness is all about? Let's add to that one more. In Matthew 5 verse 6, Jesus placed a blessing upon certain individuals and it reads like this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled this woman perceived that the Lord had something that she wanted. I hope that you and I always so live in such a way others will see, I want what He's got. I want the kind of life that she lives. I want the appreciation of my children and my grandchildren having the kind of comportment and the kind of behavior they, that family's got. They're Christians and their children love the Lord And they are people who, in fact, strive to live in harmony with the Word of God. It would seem as though this woman saw something in the Christ that was so very unique and special. What about lesson three? What else might we consider? May I call your attention again to verses 12 and following. In the conversation that Jesus had with this Samaritan woman, I've merely entitled this one, Leading to Jesus. Jesus first asked her, give me water to drink. He started a conversation with something with which she was familiar, the water that she had come to draw. But very quickly thereafter, that conversation was turned by the infinite wisdom of Christ into a direction about spiritual water, and shortly thereafter to a full-blown consideration of spiritual matters. There's a great deal of wisdom in that. You and I know that we have the Word of God and we have the conviction of the truth that it is. And we have given our life over to the Master. In our desire to share that truth with others, look at how Jesus did it. He piqued her interest in matters touching what was so vitally important to her. There's a great deal of wisdom in that. The best thing sometimes is not merely to immediately jump in and say, you know, there's a hell to be avoided. Although that's true, there's typically far more tactful ways and far more wonderfully successful ways to to consider the initial points of a conversation. Oh, how Jesus did it so masterfully. Could we not add this to that? Did you notice the overwhelming way that the woman was impacted by this? After just a short conversation, she left her water pot and went into the city and seemingly found every man she could find. Come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Isn't this the Christ? She was convicted and she was convinced. And she wanted to share that news with others. Have you and I done that? When you and I were baptized and we became Christians, you see, Have we had that desire, that loving interest to share that with others? To try to make note of the beauty of that message and that their lives could be improved by it just as ours was? Leading others to Christ. Isn't it a lovely thing to consider that matter given to us of helping to be those emissaries, those individuals that can show others the way of truth? On the slide, I ask you to consider this verse. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told every human being is an immortal spirit. They, just like you and me, every one of us is headed toward eternity. Every one of us to a day of judgment. And we in love would like them to know the salvation that we know. May we with earnestness and with a love for them try to be the neighbors we can be and help them to know The wonderful message we do. One last thing on that slide is a list of verses, things that we'll not consider all of them, but perhaps a few of them, that challenge us in this regard. In Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, it is a scene that is so unforgettable, a scene that is so very moving. Jesus had been crucified. He had been nailed on a cross, and you and I know He shed His precious and sinless blood. And yet, as He did on that third day, He arose. And several weeks thereafter, He met with those apostles. And this is what He said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. To those apostles, He said, look, here is a critical and central message. Anyone who doesn't believe this will be damned. They'll be lost. But not only that, as you appreciate those that believe it and are baptized, they'll be saved. And this is a message not just for you apostles, but go and preach it to every creature. May I say, we each then are encouraged to be neighbors Jesus, as He met with this woman, gave us an example, ways that we can learn to help do this. But as we add to it, you'll note one other verse. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, As Paul so lovingly said, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. It was his desire to share that message and to help others come to know that wonderful truth. So far, these three lessons perhaps lead us to this one. Lesson number four. One other thing it would be fair to say concerning the behavior of the Master, He did not overlook her sins. I suppose it would be easy to say in the interest of peace, I'll just not mention or at least in any way make reference to these attributes of this person's life that I know are not right. Now may I say, perhaps that's not the first thing you'd want to mention. You'd like to pique their interest and gain their favor. But you can't go on indefinitely pretending that what they're doing wrong is something that you'll, ne- that you'll never mention. What I mean by that is this. Jesus, you'll notice pretty early on, call your husband, I don't have one. Well, what you've said there is right, because you've had five men, and the man you're with now is not your husband. You're living in sin, lady. You're living in a way... That's fornication. He's not your husband. Isn't it interesting then that there are times that we encounter those who perhaps in that regard or in other ways of life, they're living in a way that doesn't please God. We can't pretend that that's not sin. We can't just go on and try to let them think that everything's okay. There must come a point where we perhaps tactfully but yet truthfully Help them understand. And the best way is to let them read the verses themselves. Let Jesus tell them that what I'm now doing is not right in His sight. If you and I do that, that's because that's the most loving thing we can do. We can't pretend that they're not in sin. We can't pretend it's a mistake. On another occasion, didn't Jesus do something similar? They brought to Him a woman that they claimed had been taken in adultery. After all that was ended, Jesus said, go and sin no more. He didn't cover up what she had been doing, but He told her, don't do it again. May I say, as you and I look at those things, sin is a condemning thing. And you and I love the forgiveness of God, but forgiveness only comes on the terms that He has promised, not on our terms. This fourth lesson has been a reminder that the truth of God is not compromisable. If we compromise it, we destroy it in the sense of its power for us. One last thing in the lesson is yours. Lesson number five. What a blessing it is to our neighbors when you and I act neighborly in a biblical way toward them. This woman went into the city. She told those men about the Christ and the great excitement that she had. And you'll notice they came out and heard Him and many, many believed on Jesus. May I say that you and I too can be a great element of work for the cause of the Master. We can influence many people. We can help them see the light. And we can help them come to know the salvation that you and I enjoy as we close that particular slide and also close this lesson you'll notice many examples are listed those like paul and priests and a number of others and what a great influence they had i would call to your attention acts chapter 6 verse 7 many of the priests believed on the lord there are those in your life and mine those that were privileged to know those who are not members of the body of Christ. As neighbors, you and I to them would wish to help them come to know the Jesus that we know, the salvation that we feel, to be neighbors as Jesus was to that Samaritan woman. Today, as we examine ourselves, may I say if there's someone in the audience that has never obeyed the gospel, don't you realize that Jesus came that you might be saved? He came and shed His blood that you might come to know the nature of the gospel. And in that way, you could, of course, etch your name in that honor roll of consideration for heaven. If we could help you today in in obeying the gospel initially, you must believe in Jesus with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. The baptismal waters are ready. All that could be taken care of in just a few minutes. If you have become a Christian and you have known the sweetness of neighborliness, but maybe that fervor is gone, the ardor is a long-distant memory, why don't you come back today to your first love? Be re-energized with the truth of the gospel. Things known publicly, we'll pray to God, of course, that He'll forgive you of any and all of them, and upon your repentance, upon your repentance and your confession, He'll forgive them. Today, if we could be of assistance in any of these ways, we want to do that at once. While together we stand and while we sing.